morning, Mosaic. It is so great to be here today and, and to be able to talk to you, even though you're not here. We want to let you know that we really miss seeing your faces. We miss the great big hugs we get to have when we greet you on Sunday mornings, and we miss hearing your voices as we worship together. And uh, it's so good that we're able to have this opportunity to connect with each other, despite the fact that we're not able to see each other. I saw something yesterday that I thought was really cool, and it says that um, even though we can't come together as a church, we can be the church. And I'm really excited about Mosaic being the church during this incredibly difficult time. So today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to talk to you about this question about whether or not you're okay. Whether or not you're okay. I remember hearing a sermon years and years ago where one fellow says to the other, hey, are you okay? And the guy answers, I'm doing okay under the circumstances. And the old preacher said, what are you doing under there? And uh, I thought that was a really poignant question. What are you doing under those circumstances? Why are you letting those circumstances determine how you're actually doing? Well, today what I'd really like to ask you to think about is whether or not our circumstances, all the difficulties that we're facing or seeing in our life today, are the best determiner of how we're actually doing. And if not, then what does? What does determine this? So please consider the possibility that you are actually a whole lot better off than you actually think that you might be. And I'd like uh, you to, if you would, just allow me some time to make that point. So in order to do that, we're going to begin with a little anthropology lesson. Now, anthropology, I've discovered, is the study of man. So we're going to have a little anthropological discussion here. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a biblical picture of man. And we're going to derive this directly from the Scripture. The Scripture says in 1 Thessalonians, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. So if Paul's prayer is that they would be entirely sanctified, then they would need to be sanctified in all of these ways. And may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. From this verse, we derive or we see a picture of man being looked at uh, as being a three-part whole. Now, this is just one model or explanation that's used in anthropology. There's the dichotomous and the trichotomous, and there's the holistic. All of those are great models, and they uh, show us something about man. But today, for our discussion purposes, we're going to look at man as a three-part whole. So what is man, essentially? And we're going to begin by seeing that man is essentially a spirit, in other words, he is at his core a spiritual being. When we were created initially, God made us with the capacity to relate to him. So he gave us a spirit. What does the gospel, uh, the gospel of John say? It says um, uh, the, the Lord is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit 
and in truth. And so at our core, we are spiritual, all right? And then God has also given to us a soul. And this soul is what we use or, or what is um, used to experience our environment around us. And God has placed within us a mind with the ability to think, emotions with the ability to feel, and a will with the ability to decide. And all of those are there present in our soul in order to help us to encounter or experience the world around us. And all of that is wrapped up in this body. Uh, one author that I love uh, says that if you go to the moon, you need a moon suit. But if you're living on earth, you're going to have to have an earth suit. And so God has given us an earth suit to live our lives out here on planet earth. And that is our human body. The human body is born in the form of a tiny baby. It ages and in later in life it collapses. Uh, but the uh, person continues to live. The person continues to exist because they're spiritual in their essence. Their body is not the thing that most defines them. So don't allow your bodily experience to define how you're doing, okay? So um, let's continue to move forward. Here's a statement that I think is really a good summary of what we're talking about, that man is essentially a spirit who has a soul and lives in a body, okay? So take that one and maybe write that down or come back to this PowerPoint later and reflect upon that statement and its significance. Now, from a biblical standpoint, all human beings are identified as being in one of two men or being associated with one of two men. I get this from 1 Corinthians 15, 22, and it basically says that we are either in Adam or we are in Christ. Now, we're going to take a look at a human being who is in Adam, and then we're going to take a look at a human being who actually comes to be in Christ as we continue to try and identify just how well you're actually doing today. First of all, let's talk about those who are in Adam. We're going to call this guy a, sin, a sinner. Why? Because the thing that Adam is most noted for, the thing that Adam actually brought to the world was his sin. He brought sin into the world, and he passed sin down to every one of us in the world. Every human being ever born is touched by the sin of Adam, except one, and that is Jesus. He's considered, according to Scripture, the second Adam, and he is the one who came to actually change things that Adam put into place. He came to undo that destructive work that sin did in our lives, all right? So a person who is actually in Adam, a person who is defined as a sinner, has several different problems. The first and most key problem is that at his core, he is spiritually dead to God. Just as Adam died and was separated from God in the garden, just as he uh, experienced that removal from Eden, you and I, when we are born, are in that same state of being spiritually dead. 
And we are in Adam. We are children of Adam. And we have that problem of being uh, unable to hear God, unable to relate to God, unable to receive from God. We're dead to God. Okay? We have an identity problem. And this is a problem that is at our very core, the very core of our being. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest, Ephesians 2. This passage helps us to see that all of us were born in this particular state, and we all have that problem. And we have other problems, too. <laughs> uh, not only are we uh, spiritually dead to God, but we develop a system of our own human understanding of methods and um, strategies and coping mechanisms that we use to get by in life. And those methods and strategies are godless. They are without God. And as a result, they are defined according to the scripture as our flesh. And if you'll notice here, because this person is separated from and dead to God, he has no other option but flesh from which to live, from which to choose. But he also has another problem. He's guilty of sins. He's guilty of sins. And the scripture says in the book of Isaiah that your lawless deeds and your sins have separated you from your God. And so this guy in Adam, this person known as a sinner, is separated from God because of his sin. But he also has another problem, and that is that because of the fact that um, he is in Adam, he has a slave-master relationship with sin. Sin rules in his life. It governs his life. It directs his life. And he really has no choice in the matter because of that slave-master relationship with sin. So this guy has all kinds of problems. And uh, he will remain this way. And he will uh, spend the balance of his life behaving in this way. And he will die this way, and he will live dead to God, or he will remain dead to God for all eternity. That he will spend eternity separated from God unless something changes. And this week we're talking about, about Palm Sunday and about Holy Week and about the Passion. And we'll have Good Friday this coming week. And, and it was on Good Friday that Jesus came to resolve this problem. He came to turn this around so that we could no longer be in Adam, but we could be in Christ Jesus. And so we've got really good news. And many of us have heard this good news and have responded to this good news. And we want to take a look now uh, what happens to an individual when they actually make a decision to consider and to believe the gospel. So we all start out as sinners. We all begin from this position. There's level ground at the foot of the cross. Every single one of us comes to God in this state. And someone comes along to us and declares the gospel to us. For me, it was um, 48, 
maybe 50, no, 48 years ago, uh, this Good Friday, that I heard and believed the good news for myself. And this is kind of what happened to me or to you in the moment that we believe. To begin with, God dealt with the problem of our sins by allowing them to be paid for by Jesus Christ. The wrath of Almighty God was directed at our sins. And we were going to receive that wrath and experience it. But the Lord Jesus Christ stepped between us and the wrath of God. And he absorbed it fully in his body so that we would not have to. He took our sins upon himself so that we could be set free from that wrath. We, we could be no longer condemned. It's amazing. It's absolutely stunning. But there's so much more. This is a great beginning to the story, but there's more to the gospel. All right, if you'll notice, it's not just your sins that need to be taken care of. You have an identity problem. You have a problem spiritually because you're dead, and the gospel addresses that. What the gospel does is it says that God took your old man, your old nature, your old Adamic uh, spirit, and he crucified it with Christ Jesus. You've heard Paul say this before in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God and who loved me and gave himself for me. You, you may also have heard it from Romans chapter 6 where it says, for if we become like him, in the, uh, united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we will also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be rendered powerless, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who is dead is freed from sin. So take a look at what the gospel actually accomplishes. It transforms us from sinner to saint. It gives us a brand new identity by crucifying the old and filling us with the very life of God. Rick was talking earlier about the new covenant. And if you see the promises of the new covenant in the old, one of the things that you'll see is he says, I will take from you your heart of stone and I will give you a tender heart of flesh and I will place my spirit within you so that you will be able to do all that I've commanded you. So this new covenant that Jesus came to bring about in our lives promises us this that he would take that heart of stone from us, that old nature, crucify it, put it to death. And he would give us a new nature. And he would place his spirit within us, that Zoe, life of God. And that would then become our source of living. And because of the fact that my old man is dead, I am no longer a slave to that power called sin. Yes, that power called sin is still present. It's still an issue that I have to face. But I am not a slave. I am not bound to it. I do not have to listen to it. God has empowered me with a brand new choice. He's given me the choice to walk by the Spirit so that I will not carry out the sinful desires of the flesh. 
I want you to see this, that God has given his life for us in order that he could give his life to us so that he could live his life through us. Uh, This is wonderful. This is good news. This is where it's at. This is what determines whether or not you're okay. And if you look at this and you, you see that the thing that matters most about you, which is the, your core, your spirit, is filled with Almighty God. That greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And you see that that is your reality. That no matter what happens to your body, that you are secure in Christ. That is why I believe you and I are okay. But... We are facing some incredibly difficult circumstances. I talked to some of you throughout the week, either on texting or Facebook or on the phone, and I've heard about your difficult situations. I know what you're facing. I've heard about lost jobs and and people who are working on the front lines uh, without adequate PPE, and I've heard about uh, people who've lost loved ones, and it's difficult. And you know what? In our soul, we are going to experience all of these circumstances. We're going to experience uh, those things, and we will have a, uh, a critical decision to make as to whether or not we will respond according to our flesh or in the power of Christ. Now, this is the way it works. It all begins with a thought. Say a circumstance occurs, and a thought comes to our mind. And almost instantly, there is an emotional response. So we have a thought and an emotional response. And typically, what happens as a result of that is that we choose to behave in a certain way. We act based upon what that thought is and what uh, those emotions are. But once again, as I told you, this is a really critical moment. When this thought comes in, we have to be prepared for it, and we have to decide how are we going to respond in this critical moment. What are we going to look to? What are we going to depend upon? What are we going to trust in? Okay? And I'd like to paint for you a picture of what is called in, in uh, my counseling world as the exchange life as the exchange life. Okay, the exchange life is where we realize that we have given up our lives in exchange for the life of Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I see that on bumper stickers all the time. And I, I, I hope that the folks who are, are putting that on their bumper stickers are really thinking about the significance of what it is. Because he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could be the righteousness of God in him. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. And the idea is that under these, under, in this relationship, that we trust that God allows things into our life, locusts and, and virus and, and difficulty and job losses and all of these things are allowed to come into our lives and then what God actually does with them even though the enemy means them for evil God is a redeemer 
He is the one who takes those things and uses them for our good. He wastes absolutely nothing, Rick. He turns everything around for our good. And what he does is he takes those things and he uses them in a process of maturity in our life to grow us in our confidence in Christ and to reduce our confidence in the flesh. And as we believe that Jesus has come to live within us, and as we trust that more and more, this is what's happening. Our minds are being transformed. Things we used to believe, lies we used to trust, things we used to count on, we stop counting on them, and we start counting on what is truth. We start counting on what God says in his word, and through wisdom, and through the spirit. And we listen to that And that truth transforms our life. And gradually, and this doesn't happen overnight, guys, gradually what happens is our emotions heal. Or in a sense, they settle down. They they line up with the truth over time. But don't expect that to just uh, happen overnight. And as we're doing this and trusting in the Lord, what actually happens is we choose to depend upon Jesus in each individual moment, and we experience what the Bible would call, or what I would call, the victorious Christian life. We experience the exchange life. We experience Jesus living his life through us. I love this verse from Romans 15, 8. It says this, for I will not presume to speak of anything except for what Christ has accomplished through me. Now, imagine that we have a choice to speak of various things, how difficult the circumstances is, what Fox News said last night, or what I heard, uh, you know, in the rumor mill, what they posted on Facebook last night. Uh, If that becomes the, the declaration or the thought that drives our lives, we are forgetting what Christ has accomplished through us. We are forgetting that our lives are secured by the living God. We are forgetting that we are sealed until the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. We are forgetting that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And we want to be like Paul, declaring only that which Christ has accomplished through us and to allow that to be the thing that actually governs and compels or moves our lives forward. Christ living his life through us is this thing we call the victorious Christian life. Now, I'd like to begin to end today's message by sharing with you a number of passages that I think are really powerful and very salient for what we're talking about today. To begin with, I want to remind you of one you already know, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And it says, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. That means we offer that up to God. We give it to him, surrendering it wholly and completely to him, and we leave it there for his purposes, whatever those purposes might be. And then the word says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. There is this constant feed coming to us from the world. And we could be conformed to that. We could join into that. We could get on Living on Lynchburg and post all these interesting uh, uh, rebuttals to everything people are saying. We could do that. 
or we could be transformed by the renewing of our mind. This transformation is maturity over a period of time where God replaces lies with his truth in order that our minds would begin to contain the truth. So let's say that we're experiencing fear, and our flesh is very uh, familiar with fear. We're used to what to do under circumstances that are fearful. Maybe we flee. You know, maybe we freak. Maybe I, I can't think of any other good efforts that, that say what we do when we, when we get fearful. But here's what Isaiah 41.6 says in the face of fear. And this is truth, folks. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, allow that word to transform your thinking so that you are believing the truth that you are never, ever alone, that God is with you and you have no reason to fear. 1 John 4.18, it talks about this. It says that there is no fear in love. For perfect love casts out fear. Ah, So who is perfect love? It's Jesus. Jesus is perfect love. And as we come to him and we trust in him and we set our hearts and our minds on him, fear is done away with. And our mind is transformed all the more. What about loneliness? I know that right now it's hard for me. You guys know what a people person I am. It is so difficult for me to stand up here and talk to a nearly empty room. I'm so thankful for the people who are here. Uh, it's difficult because I get lonely. I, I need a hug. And uh, it's hard for me. And maybe you're lonely too. Well, I want to take you to the word. It says, oh, I was supposed to have changed that. I'm sorry can't remember what the verse was that I had there, but it basically says that you're never alone. And uh, just like this one does, Matthew 28, 20 says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God is not gone. He is with you right there in the middle of your difficulty. And so when you're believing the truth of God's presence with you, You're able to do away with fear and do away with loneliness and transform your mind. Let's move forward. I love this passage because it refers back to a lot of what we've already said today. Look at Colossians 3, uh, verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since you have been raised up with Christ, that means we were crucified with him and raised up with him. This is what we are to do. Keep seeking the things above. Keep seeking seeking the things above, where Christ is seated with God at the right hand, at at God's right hand, and then set your mind on things above. Now, I don't believe that God would have commanded us to seek and set if we didn't have the capacity to do that. We have the ability within us to obey the scripture, to keep seeking the things above, and to set our minds on things which are above. Now, we, I want you to think about that word above. And uh, what I'd like for you to think about is, so here are you. Yeah, that's a, a beautiful you. And here's you under the circumstances, okay? And uh, while you're living under the circumstances, it can be extremely difficult if all you see is your circumstances, if all you're aware of is what you're going through, the trouble that you're experiencing here on the earth. 
But Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 tells us that God being rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved and he raised us up with him, same as what Colossians says, and he seated us with him in heavenly places. What did God do? He not only seated Christ at his right hand, but he seated us at the right hand of Jesus. So guess what, believer? No matter where you're sitting today, whether you're at 105 Portico or you're at Mosaic Church or you're somewhere in Amherst, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Now, wait a minute, John. How can both of these things be true? How can it be true that I am seated with Christ in heavenly places? Well, there are things going on that you can't see. I, I've, I've, I remember reading a great John Eldridge book called Waking the Dead. I was talking to a friend about it just the other day. And there's a line in there where Eldridge says, things are not always as they seem. And that's absolutely the truth. Things are not always as they seem. We might see our earthly experience with our human eyes, but God wants us to be aware that something is going on that you might not be able to see with your earthly eyes. And guess what? What's going on is that you are seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. How secure are you in Christ Jesus? Can anything separate you from the love of God which is in crisis? Christ Jesus, can anything uh, hurt you or harm you? Can anything uh, endanger you? Well, yes, it can endanger your body. There is no question about that. This virus is dangerous. And I'm so glad you guys are doing stuff to try and mitigate this and to try and uh, prevent its spread because it is dangerous. And we want to take good care of our bodies. No problem with that. But we need to know that there is something more to us than just the physical. There is something so much more to us. And that is what God has declared to be true of us spiritually. Not only does Christ Jesus live within us, but there is a spiritual reality where in the eternal we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And that security changes everything. It gives me peace when I'm faced with the potential that some harm may come to me. It gives me peace. It, 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 it gives me a different focus, a different perspective. I'm looking at the world through a different lens because I am considering the fact that I am in Christ Jesus and that because I am in him, I am completely secure Let's continue. Oh, I forgot this part. Instead of living under the circumstances, how about we think about living above the circumstances? How about we think about not allowing the circumstances to define who we are and how we are? When someone asks if, we, if we're okay, we could say, absolutely, I'm okay. I may have a cough. It may be a dry cough. I may, you know, I may have certain symptoms or certain things may be going on. I may be in the ICU, but guess what? I'm still okay because I am in Christ Jesus and I am seated with him in heavenly places. I received terrible news this week that a good friend of ours lost her husband to the coronavirus down in Atlanta. This is the first personal touch in my life. I don't know what you've experienced 
But it was really sad for me to hear about my friend who lost her husband. But you know what I know about her husband, Rick? He is in the presence of Jesus because Rick was seated with Christ in heavenly places long before he ever came face to face with Jesus. And I'm so thankful for that. And that truth is the truth that you and I can lean into. There's a passage of scripture here that I I want to share with you from 2 Corinthians 10. And I'm going to read this to you from the Passion Translation. Maybe you've never heard of it before, but it has some really, um, it articulates things in a really beautiful way. You, You all are familiar with this passage, but let's look at it in the Passion Translation. It says, for although we live in the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons using manipulation to achieve our aims. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power. They are energized with divine power. This is not the power of Caleb or Rick or Carlton. This is the power of God. It is the divine power of God that becomes our weaponry. And they are effective for dismantling defenses behind which people hide. And we can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God. Now, I want you to think about a deceptive fantasy. All right, a fantasy is something that occurs where? In the mind, right? And it's a deception. And who is the deceiver? The enemy. So the enemy is posing, uh, proposing this deceptive fantasy. He's serving up this lie. And our spiritual weapons are divinely powerful for dealing with those, to demolish them, and to break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. Believer, you will experience the accuser. You will experience the, the, the fear monger, the one who comes to you, the, the accuser of the brethren, and he will bring thoughts to you that are arrogant, so arrogant that he tries to cause you to doubt and to disbelieve the truth of God. Guess what this scripture tells us to do? It tells us to capture those thoughts like prisoners of war. Capture every thought and insist that that thought Bow in obedience to the anointed one, Jesus. Take those thoughts captive and insist that they bow to the anointed one. This is such an important thing. And so here you are again, and you have enemies. We all have enemies. And these enemies, as I have already said, are out to get us. They want to to hurt us. The thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. And his weapon, uh, the weapons of the enemy are lies. And these lies come at us from every direction. And they are tempting. They're attractive. Some might even say they're sexy. They're appealing. And we look at them and it's tempting. But once again, we have this critical moment. And as believers, we are not just subject to the lies of the enemy. As we listen to the voice of the Spirit within us, as we read the living Word of God, as we pursue wisdom and counsel from other people in our lives, God pours out His truth in opposition to the lies. And we are faced with an incredible question of how we will deal within that moment. And I would like to suggest to you, 
four R's that I think are very powerful in helping you to deal with this. First of all, recognize the lies. Recognize them as lies. Recognize them as coming from the enemy and refuse them. Do not allow them in. Stop them at the door. Don't give them a foothold in your life. Don't give them space in your mind. Reject them. Refuse them. Turn them away. That's how we deal with the lies. Now, what do we do with the truth? The truth that God gives us in opposition to those lies, we use that truth to replace the lie. If the enemy comes at you with a thought that's contradictory to the word, then you replace that with the word. We learned this from Jesus when he was tempted by the enemy. He used the word of God to replace the lies that the enemy was serving up to him. And then finally, we rest in the truth. We can rest in the truth because Jesus has gone before us and he has defeated our enemy and he has secured for us this place of rest in him. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Matthew eleven twenty eight. This is his promise. We can rest in the Lord Jesus if we come to him. Now, in conclusion, I'm going to read a passage that we've used over and over again, but I want to just look at it holistically, beginning in verse 4. It's from Philippians, and it's sort of become all of our life verse, hasn't it, during this very difficult time. And this is what it says. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer, with supplication, and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But that's not all. Finally, brethren, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is anything excellent or anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. Now, this is a challenge. I challenge you to dwell on these things, to dwell on the truth of God, to not allow the lies that the enemy would use to take you down, to capture you with fear or with shame or with guilt or with um, any emotion that is contrary to God's heart for you. Dwell on the truth. And I put together a page here of some verses of truth that Garvisa and I went through the word together and we found some of our favorites. And we put this list here for you so that you can go through them one by one and read these truths in your own personal times with the Lord. And when you're dealing with a struggle, we challenge you to look these verses up. And I want you to add one to it, one that didn't quite make it on the screen. That's Romans chapter 8 verses 31 through 39. So um, this list will be available here on the PowerPoint. We could also email it to you. And uh, we just want to make sure that you have an option to 
Take a look at the truth and take the truth seriously for yourselves and to allow it to contradict the lies of the enemy. Dwell on these things. Let me pray for you. Father, I think about people who are out there watching us right now on Facebook. I think about Elizabeth and Jesse and um, the challenges that they're facing, Sarah and Andrew, and I think about George and Tammy and George and Lois and others, God, who are um, part of this family, so, so much a part of this family. God, we just pray that you would protect them uh, during this difficult time. Uh, not only would you protect them physically, Lord, but would you also um, protect their minds, uh, be a shield about them, allow your truth, God, to be the helmet that protects them. I pray for uh, Esther and her daughter Tammy, and I uh, also ask you, God, to, uh, to be with Jamie and Ryan and uh, all of the other saints who are a part of this congregation, Miss Trudy, and uh, folks that we love and we care about. Lord, would you uh, nurture them wherever they are as they're sheltering in place. God, would you just tenderly deal with the uh, difficulties that they're facing in life. Father, would you allow this truth from the word today to transform our minds, allow it to have its way with us so that we realize just how okay we are because we are in Christ and he is in us and nothing can ever separate us from that love. Nothing can take us from that place where we're seated with you in heavenly places. We give thanks to you on this Palm Sunday for how good we have it and for the beautiful, amazing, wonderful gospel that came about because of your death, burial, and resurrection. Lord Jesus, we pray in your powerful name. Hope you have a wonderful day, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Take care. Bye-bye.